I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. This might be my favorite podcast because it's a podcast about podcasts, how to make a podcast, how to monetize a podcast, how to get advertisers, how to create something that is authentic and has intention and is interesting to people and how to use data to figure out what your community and listeners want, how to build community. These are just some of the topics that we talk about. And being very honest, this is very self-serving. These are the things that I am interested in knowing. So I assume if I have questions and things that I want to know, then other people also want to know these things, whether you have an existing podcast or it's something that you're thinking about growing for yourself or your business. I got to speak to two amazing experts, Rebecca Sananis, who is a podcast producer. She's worked on amazing shows like This American Life and for you know NPR. And she runs podcast workshops and does coaching. So she really knows what she's talking about. We talked a lot about what metrics are important, monetization, what trends in the podcast industry look like. We went very macro in a lot of ways about the industry and what works, what doesn't work, how you differentiate yourself. And then in the second part of this episode, we talked to my podcast producer, Brian Peoples, who has a company called Peoples Media, where he produces a bunch of different shows in the learning education space. And I really love Brian. He's such a sweet person, so knowledgeable. And there's a lot of little tweaks and little tips that he gives along the way to tighten things up, following along in the metrics to see what's working, what's not working, where to put effort, where not to. And he's really given me so much confidence doing this. So I wanted to shine a spotlight on Brian, but also ask him to highlight some of those tips because he's always giving me great advice and I really am so grateful for him. So Rebecca, Brian, thank you so much to anyone who's listening who has a dream and doesn't know how to do it. I hope this helps. And anyone who is up and running and wants to get the lay of the land or figure out how to make your podcast work for you, here you go. I feel like this is very like meta in some way. We're talking on a podcast about how to successfully launch a podcast. This is also incredibly self-serving because here we are on my podcast. This is about basically our year anniversary of the Second Shift podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. And I, like you, have a journalism background. So for me, it was a really fun transition to do this because it plays upon so many of the skills that I learned back in the day. Totally. Journalism school and out on the field. And so it fulfills like a really fun part that is not my full job, but has become, it takes a lot of time. It does. It really does. I think that that's something that from the outside, because it sounds so effortless, because great shows are 
you're, you feel like you're a fly on the wall. You feel like, you know, that host, you can't really hear the edits. You're like, that must be the easiest thing in the world. And I'm like, no, it sounds easy because somebody's put immense amount of work into making it sound effortless. So I know, I know the deal. I'm not really sure. I think because I have the background to be able to know how to prep and do it and produce something that I'm thinking that way upfront, it is a little bit easier for me. I think it would be very difficult for somebody to come in and have absolutely no idea how to do this. So for them, I want to do this podcast today. Something that I think is interesting is when I started in podcasting, the majority of people in my like generation cohort and before me came from a journalism world. We were all like NPR nerds who wanted to sort of like move into the future and slowly, or I guess not so slowly, but like suddenly it became very Hollywood. And so these things are sort of at play together with, you know, people who have this journalism background and there was a long time where it was really a journalism industry. And now it's sort of a Hollywood industry. And I think it's still reckoning with itself what it's going to do there. Do you think that, well, I I know you think because you are a producer and you have (laughs) all of these amazing courses that you help people launch their podcasts. But to backtrack, I, for very many years, I have been a huge fan of podcasts since like, you know, um, This American Life was the only thing on the air. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I was hesitant for such a long time to actually do this was because I assumed there was nothing left to say. (laughs) I assumed that this was a very crowded field. And if you hadn't jumped in, then it wasn't even worth trying. So for those like me who are on the fence or that there's there's no room, who needs to hear your voice? Is it a good time? Is it a growing industry? Do we see that that this is still where it's at for brands, for individuals? The short and long answer is yes, right? Like I Great. think the answer okay. is, yeah, the answer <laughs> is yes. You know, it's funny because I feel that way too. And I think part of what makes podcasting both great to jump into and like emotionally challenging is you really have to believe you have something to say, you know, and getting over that hump for yourself, I think is really important. And then I think the other thing that I'll say is part of what makes podcasting an absolute delight and makes it sort of different from other mediums is you are partially there for the perspective and the voice and the taste of the host, right? Like you're, you're getting information mediated through somebody that you trust And so that means that even if you're saying the same thing that somebody else is saying, even if you're tackling the same subject, you inherently have something different to say, like your lens, your perspective, your experience will be different. And so, you know, I I say jump in. I think in terms of the ability to carve out an audience and make money, I think we're in a particularly challenging moment but I also think that the industry is reorganizing itself and I think it's changing. And in that way, if you can tolerate risk a little bit, I think now's a really great time. Okay. Let's go into that because I really would like to talk about the monetization aspect because, yeah. you know, lo- what I think is really cool about podcasting as well is that there's really very little barrier to entry. Yeah. You can teach yourself how to do this. You can buy, I mean, the janky setup I've got going on here. If you're willing to 
learn and do it, anybody can do it. Right. And that's amazing. But what is working in your mind right now? And explain the industry and the monetization, what what you were just talking about and how it's reorganizing, because it seems confusing. It's totally confusing. You know, I was talking to um, the head of the Tribeca Audio Festival, film festival now has an audio portion. And and we both agreed. He said to me, and I thought it was funny, anybody who tells you they know what's going to happen in the audio industry probably does not know what's going to happen in the audio industry. You know, like it really is changing in a way that nobody can fully put their finger on. I can tell you what I think, but I'll tell you what has happened and where we are right now, which is- Yeah, please. There's a lot of different ways to do a podcast. And I think they've all sort of fallen into this bucket of podcasts. Like you mentioned This American Life. This American Life is not an easy barrier to entry. This American Life is like, you know, it is like for like very serious. That's totally a different, there's like the This American Life world or or the very highly produced investigative reporting. That's in its own world. That's like the New York Times. Yeah, except, but that's what's interesting is like, it's not. It all falls into this bucket of podcasting and that's where things get really complicated because like, how do you price these ads differently? A show like that, a limited you know, narrative limited series that's very, very highly well-produced is going to cost, you know, at minimum, probably a quarter million dollars with all the staffing and everything, you know, and whereas what you're doing probably costs, I I don't, I don't want to say what it would cost, but my point being is those are two very different revenues and how you do things. One part of the idea I think is that it turns into viable IP that can turn into something else you know, so on and so forth. But a lot of what people are buying right now is quote unquote, always on programming. And the reason being is it's quicker to produce, you know, quicker turnaround times, smaller teams, and you will always have ad slots, you know? So like I, I did pivot at New York Magazine, Vox Media, and people love that because it always kept up with the news twice a week, ad slots. I think there's three ad slots per show, maybe even four ad slots per show by this time. And so that's a really compelling place for ad buyers. But I think what's interesting there is it's that much harder in that space to make a differentiation, right? Because that's where it's sort of quote unquote oversaturated because it does have an easier entry point, you know? So that's part of what I think is really happening right now. And that's really complicated is all of these different things that should be separate. Like, would we call this American Life a podcast? I don't know, but it's certainly included in like the ad market tallies that everybody is making. And I think that's made things muddled and confusing and how you monetize it and why you make certain things. So I think those things are all kind of up in the air. If you're a brand or you are your own brand, Mm-hmm. or you have some business that you want to start. Is a podcast a really, in your mind, great way to raise brand awareness? What are the best ways that you can think about it in terms of like, okay, I'm not this American life, but I'm the second shift, whatever, sure. a, a company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're using it as a marketing tool. Is that still a feasible way to think about creating brand awareness and identity by using a podcast? So what, here's what I've been thinking about, and this is me as a creator, less of like somebody who's on the business side. I thought it was really interesting watching what Mattel did with Barbie, you know, like it was a beautiful ad campaign. It had very high art value. It was 
a great story told by really high level story makers, but like everybody had brand awareness about Mattel. And that's what I would say the same sort of thing in podcasting is I think a lot of times brands will come to, I've had this happen to me where they're like, we want to do a podcast about our brand. And I'm like, I think it would be better if you worked with a producer to find the best story that illuminated your values and like tied to your brand, but make it really good. Make it from like the perspective of a listener And that's the better way to do it because, you know, the Serta Mattress podcast, it's going to be really hard to get that into the top 20. You know what I mean? Like people aren't going there week over week to listen or fascinated by that story. But, you know, if you can find the adjacent story that, you know, illuminates it every once in a while, maybe sprinkles in some of the brand, I think that's a much more elegant way of doing it. And I think, you know, it depends. I think also like CEOs and executive directors talking about what they're doing. I think that is fascinating. I think it all depends. You know, I think it's, it depends on what your organization does, who your consumer is, what else they're listening to. But I think sort of like the podcast is advertising for the company, I think probably isn't going to break through right now from, from my vantage. I think you're probably better off being a podcast advertiser because it is a very effective way to advertise if you are an advertiser. I I think of all these companies that have like done a great job as podcast advertisers and aligning with people who and companies that have a similar mission or the right audience is, is a great way to reach them. I think part of the reason why people love podcast ads is you've been listening to a host who's there helping the audience form opinions and understand the world and be a thought leader. And then they say, okay, we'll be right back. And then they go and they say, this is the product that I'm using. I personally like it. I personally care about it. This is why I use it. And then, you know, the listener is less likely to skip over that ad. The listener is more likely to trust that ad because somebody that they've already trusted their opinion is verbalizing that. And you're probably already on your phone. And so it's much easier to go and look up that thing. So I think that's part of why podcast advertising has been effective is it's not like watching, you know, whatever linear television show you're watching. And then suddenly it's like a little commercial that's less compelling to people than if, you know, I, Scott Galloway at, at Pivot happened to be really good at this. He does a really funny read about something that he actually really likes I think people are more inclined to buy that product. Yeah, I I wonder though, how do you, if you are, I know many different companies that have podcasts, how do you think about advertising going to get it as a form of monetization? What are the metrics that are important when you're thinking about how to get advertisers on your podcast? I think, okay, so this is actually a really interesting, complicated question. I was just talking to a friend at Apple about this because- forever and ever and ever, the metric was downloads. Like how many downloads is this podcast getting? And that's a metric of how many people are listening. But that's not really true anymore because people, you know, like I have a lot of podcasts that I downloaded, that I subscribed to in 2015 or 16, whatever, that I don't listen to every week, but it's downloaded on my phone because I subscribed to it way back when. And so it's no longer a great 
metric of like who's huh. listening, like how many people are listening. I think things are changing on the back end of like these upload platforms where they can now track like, you know, how many streams, at what point do people drop off at what, you know, how often do people skip over things? And so I think those metrics are changing, but I think, again, all of this is part of this reorganization right now. And I think that's why podcasting has had a recent sort of bubble burst almost is I think there were a lot of assumptions made about the podcast industry that now money has gone in and it hasn't quite evened out. And I think people are taking a step back and being like, okay, what works here? What's realistic? So yeah, I wish I had a like a more concrete answer, but that's my answer. Yeah, we're lucky here because as of now, this has been something that we we do and it's part of our marketing and it's a great way to just service our community totally. and to bring in different viewpoints as career development. So monetization and advertising hasn't been the number one driver. As we shift into the second year, it's something I think about a lot. And I was talking to a friend who has had a very, very successful podcast. Mm -hmm. And she has branched out into all these different areas. So I was like, okay, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Sure. And, you know, just like, give me the, give me the info. And uh, she was like, "I, I literally can't tell you what to do because it's so confusing. But the one thing that she did mention is that, and this I think is kind of a bummer, is that because there's so much backend metric and you can see so specifically the ups and the downs and people are following all of these details, she said her advertising drops off when she does something that's like a little bit outside the box Mm. or a little bit where she feels like it's an important topic, but it doesn't necessarily resonate with the whole audience. Yeah. And I, so I've gone back and I've looked at what's worked here mm-hmm. with the second shift and wh- where we've hit. And some of the things that I think are really important as a message to get across has not resonated in the way that I thought it would. Even if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm so glad we did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the ones where you're kind of talking to the people who everybody else is talking to have. I, I think know. that's a, a little bit of a bummer because then you're just in a vacuum. It's a total bummer. It's a total bummer. I completely agree. You know, I think that once you find your niche, hopefully it's different. You know what I mean? Like hopefully people are really coming for you, the host, and not necessarily just the people that you have. But I think that's true across the board. That was true on that's true on every show I've ever worked on, even very, very high profile shows. And I think that's also a reason why podcasting more than other mediums, it's really important to be very clear on what your conceit is and what your tone is and who you are. Because, you know, with other things, the idea is, okay, we need you to, you know, like a movie. We only need you to come see that movie once in order for that to work, right? But in podcasts, you need somebody to come back week over week over week. And you will have a massive audience come if you're suddenly interviewing Beyonce. Everybody will come and listen to that one episode. But more importantly, for the ad revenue, you need them to come back the next week when it's, you know, not gonna, it's gonna be me on the podcast, you know? <laughs> Everyone's so, coming to this one. Everybody's okay. coming to this one. Yeah, this <laughs> is gonna be your major spike podcast. But well, it's funny because the how-tos that are more instructional actually are more successful in some ways than some of the ones that are more theoretical. Interesting. Actually, that doesn't surprise me. Like my own habits. 
I think people feel comforted by podcasts too, because there is something so like intimate about it. Yeah. And so instead of having, like, you feel less dumb, right? Like when I hear people in podcasts, I'm like, oh, that's a vulnerable person dealing with their life, doing their best. And that makes it easier for me to like follow along and, and listen to these how-to things. You know, it doesn't surprise me. Okay. If you are listener of this podcast right now, Mm -hmm. and you're thinking to yourself, this is something I've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. What would the first steps be that you would recommend before they ever bought the microphone? I think get very clear on like, what is the thing that you are going to say week over week? I think, you know, if you look at archetypes, it was very simple in, in concede. It was a word phrase, pigeonhole women get put into where it comes from, and the most famous person we could find who might have a connection to that. That is what we were doing week over week. And we plug and played, and like sometimes the format would be a little bit different. But like if you look at every episode, it's always following that exact conceit. And so it doesn't matter who is in any individual episode. You know what what to expect. You know what the show is about. You know why you would go to this show versus the Joe Rogan experience. Start to get really clear. Be like, what does one episode do very, very well? And how do we repeat that and also break that format at the same time? But really like figure out what your conceit is. What is your concept that you're going into? Because if you go in and you just start talking, eventually you're going to run out of runway, you know, and you'll be like, wait, what are we talking about? What is goes into our show that doesn't go into our show? And then also, you know, it's interesting. You said the shows that do the best are the ones that have the same big names come on. But if you really think about like, what is your concept and how is it different from other places? At least they'll be saying something different on your show than somewhere else, right? Like the people who came on Archetypes, were certainly people that you'd heard elsewhere, but you probably hadn't heard, you know, Issa Rae talk specifically about the angry black woman trope, you know, like there are things that are unique to what you're saying. So yeah, just like really getting very, very clear. Like I do this with myself. It's very easy and fun to be like, this is going to be the best show. It's going to be the coolest thing since Anthony Bourdain. And it's going to do this. But like, you really have to, at a certain point, be like, let's put one foot in front of the other. What does one episode sound like? And does it actually sound good? Like not the big, big picture of week over week and how is it going to make money? It's like, what is that one thing that you're going to do in this space? And you'd be surprised how much that will differentiate you because then you don't just sound like blah, 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 blah on air. You sound like we talk about something specific here that you're not going to get somewhere else because we know what we're talking about and why we're talking about it. That is a show that has a very specific structure. Yes. How important is it to have that kind of structure worked out ahead of time and then to stick with it? That's like a show that exists specifically in a certain context versus like a, a conversational kind of show. What do you think are better? Well, so let me give you an example that's more like Pivot, which is a conversational show and that always on programming. But Pivot is very structured and ended up being the reason why we could build out ad space. So Pivot from the beginning was they came on, they talked about the big story breakdown, like what are the headlines, you know, whatever. 
wins and fails of the week and predictions. That was like the simple building blocks of the episode. And it was built that way to be, you have a pre-roll, you have a mid-roll and you have a post-roll. And those all cost different amounts of money, like for ad space. A a mid-roll is going to cost the most amount of money because your listener is least likely to skip over it. And then suddenly there was such a demand for pivot and there was such a demand for ad space. They were like, okay, we need to make more of this. And so suddenly you had to be like, okay, this is just a chat show talking about the news. How do we find new and creative ways to talk about the news that makes more space for advertisers in a way that people want to come to it twice a week? And so then we added the phone a friend segment and the listener mail segment and you know, I forget what, but those building blocks allowed us to go from one day a week and then add an ad break and then two days a week and and so on and so forth. So I think even in those chat show formats, having those segments and having those building blocks and that clarity allows you to grow. And then another thing about those segments and those building blocks is the way that I saw Pivot blow up at the beginning was every episode we ended with, a Scott prediction. He was sort of known in his industry as like a great analyst and and somebody who could like foresee trends. And so we did that every episode. And then a couple of months into producing Pivot, Scott got his hands on the WeWork S1. And he was like, this is a thing. And he started kind of predicting in real time the fall of WeWork week over week. And people started being like, oh, I know where to go listen to hear about this crazy story happening. And it was the last segment in the show. And so they've had to get through at least the pre-roll and the mid-roll in order to get to that place. But they knew where to go. And so again, I think even though Pivot is like truly like a chat show, you know, always on programming, it does have structure and it does allow for growth and it allows for the audience to sort of know what to expect and why and to come back to it. So yeah, I think that stuff is important no matter what you're doing, but I'm sure there's people who disagree with me too. (laughs) So you've got your show. Yep. You've created it. You've got the mic and the setup and I'm like knocking everything over here (laughs) and you've got, and you're up and running. How do you find is best to reach the community that is going to find you. How do you widen your reach and your audience besides just saying 12,000 times rate, review, and subscribe? Yeah, I know. I mean, like, look, if I had a simple answer to that question, I would be the most famous woman in the world. So, (laughs) but um, the best way to learn about podcasts is word of mouth. Like after all of this and like the Obamas and Meghan and Harry, it's like truly still like podcasting is very much a word of mouth medium. And the idea in podcast marketing is not to get people who don't listen to podcasts to listen to your podcast. The idea is to get people who are already listening to podcasts to listen to your podcast. So in that way, if you can make a trade with a podcast that you think has like a tangential audience and say, hey, could I do an advertisement on your show? You can do an advertisement on my show and like hope to grab some of that audience from that show and then going on other podcasts to get people to come on your show. So I guess, yeah, like that's that's what I would say is like find it within the ecosystem where people are talking about shows and place yourself there and bring, I'm not saying steal audience, I'm saying bring that audience over with you and say, if you love this, you're probably going to love this too. 
podcast newsletters, but truly like it's a very word of mouth industry. And that's part of what makes it really challenging. I think everybody's trying to figure that out. I think that's what Spotify was trying to do by making all these like big celebrity deals, but it's still sort of like this organic space. Okay. Last question. Sure. What are the emerging trends that you see and like ways to maximize potential if you are a content creator? I think that everything is moving into like that 360 space where your podcast points to a conference or a live, you know, event and you have merch and maybe the IP is transferable into a television show. Like, I think you need to start thinking very holistically about what they're bringing to the table. Like, it's tough to make a living off of podcast advertising alone. You know, you like you see Pod Save America, they do live events all the time. And so not only are they getting new shows to put new ads on, but they're doing ticket sales for those live shows. Yeah, I think like really thinking holistically about things. And like, I don't know how this would work for individuals, but like, you know, Michelle Norris is doing a podcast with Higher Ground on uh, home recipes from people. And I'm sure eventually they'll come up with a cookbook. You know, like, I think that's kind of how it is. It's like you're building your brand and your podcast. And what are the ways in which you can branch off from that? So to start, let us discuss your credentials so that people know who they're dealing with here, the level of professional that we've got going on. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for having me. So maybe eight, nine years ago, I went to audio school thinking that I was going to become a mastering engineer, actually, for audio, because I had dabbled with music my whole life, and I thought that that would be a fun career path. Maybe I could get into the, the nitty gritty of actually putting together final products of things. And coming out of audio school, it turned out that podcasting was on the rise. You could sort of see it on the horizon, and it was this exciting thing. So I ended up working in post-production for a little while, TV and movies. And somewhere along the way, a comedian friend of mine wanted to start a show. And so after hours, I would bring her into the studio, and I would start working on the show with her. And it actually did really well. It had a large audience. And With that bit of complimentary experience that I acquired over there, uh, I was able to get myself a job at a major network. And from there, I was the producer to senior producer to production manager and worked for about three years. And I ended up working on dozens and dozens of shows from launch to ongoing weekly production. And in the last year or so, I went out on my own and I started my own little company. And you were one of the first people I started to work with. And it's going so well. I'm so excited to see it performing the way it is. So we met because Aliza Pressman is a friend and somebody who you had worked with on Raising Good Humans. And she said to me one day, I was like, you know, Gina thinks I should do a podcast. She was like, you should talk to Brian. He just went out on his own. He's the best, best, best. And we had a call a little more than a year ago. And I walked you through all the things that we've been doing and you were really supportive and you were like, you're already doing a podcast. You're just doing it on Zoom and it can be easily turned into a podcast, which gave me a lot of the confidence to do this because I was like, oh, so this isn't going to be hard and complicated and like techie and I'm not going to know what I'm doing. So I felt really good because you made me realize like, 
I had the skill set to do this and it was all going to be fine. And there were a lot of like screenshots of how exactly I could do this. And I haven't screwed it up too much. But in the process, <laughs> I feel like I've learned a lot. And you also work with the Puberty Podcast, which I think is an amazing, those girls are doing great. I have kids in puberty, so I really love that. And I think Vanessa's amazing. And what are some of the other podcasts that you've worked on? Yeah, for someone who doesn't have kids, I've, I've had an odd amount of experience in the parenting space. Dr. Eliza Presman is um, an absolute angel. I will love her till the day I die. Yeah, she's one of the larger shows that I began with uh, when I was over at the network, and her podcast is called Raising Good Humans. I worked with a lot of shows like uh, What We Said, The Blonde Files, but at this point, we're moving into more educational content. So we have a show coming out soon with Dr. Sasha Hines. I didn't know you are working with Sasha. I love Sasha. Yeah, she's the coolest. Positive yeah. psychology. That's coming out in a week and a half or so. By the time this airs, who knows, maybe a week from now, this will be launching. But yeah, she's already accumulating all of the downloads and all of the followers. It's looking really great. It's exciting. So I'm working with scientists, doctors. I'm actually working with a college, business professionals like yourself. So the whole theme of this little network that I've put together is education. And it's really rounding out beautifully. And everybody seems to be tied in this interesting way. It, it Almost everything goes back to Elisa Preston. And I, I can't thank her enough for it. Yeah, it's the same way I met Kara and Vanessa of the Puberty Podcast, and the things just sort of branch off from there. I love it. It was all meant to be. Now, now we understand that you are the man behind the Second Shift Podcast. Every week it's getting better, and I really appreciate your positive feedback each week. And I think you have Thank you. a really good way of helping me understand with little tiny tweaks how to make it better. And I love homework, so I'm really grateful for that. And I thought since we're putting together this episode on like how to launch a podcast and create a podcast for those who are trying to do it. And I had a conversation with Rebecca about the industry in general, really, and how to think big picture. What I would love to talk to you about are those little tweaks that you help me with all the time, whether it's the music, the picture, the intro, how important the rate, review, and subscribe is. All of that stuff that could look like little bits that who cares and really make a difference. Totally. Yeah. So I guess a good place to start would be setting up the show and what you would initially need to put together in order to be present in the spaces and show up on all of the platforms. And so those basic things that you would need initially to get up and running would be music. You would want to record a spoken trailer narration. You would need to solidify your show title, your show description, and you'd want some cover art. And the value here is that you'd be able to get out onto the platforms. You'd be able to get onto Apple and Spotify, and you'd be able to start accumulating subscribers. And so much of what I'm going to say today is going to tie back to charting and positions and visibility here. So what this comes down to is if you accumulate subscribers or followers, as they call them on most platforms now, ahead of launch, it's the same idea as going week to week, but ahead of launch is particularly important. What will happen is when you do finally release an episode, all of your subscribers will automatically download the episode at once. 
And what that's going to do is sort of slingshot you up the charts because the Apple charts are this mysterious, elusive algorithm that nobody really fully understands. But there are certain things that we do know now, like that it is some combination of downloads, ratings, and reviews that account for where you sit in the standings. And it's absolutely staggering. And it's such a frustrating thing because people really don't like to do this. People don't love to promote themselves. I understand that. Like, I believe you're someone who who really just didn't want to ask people for ratings and reviews and things. It is so uncomfortable at first. But what you'll notice if you were to follow a show on, say, Chartable, which is a preferred platform of mine, it's free. You can follow your own show. You can follow other shows as many as you'd like and see your positions throughout the world, depending on the category that you're sitting in. So on any given day, you can view that, oh, okay, I'm number 127 in Canada and number three in Mongolia. And it's a really fun, interesting way to keep tabs on how your show is performing. But what you'll notice is that even if you have the strongest day you've ever had in your show's history, you went from 100 downloads to 500 downloads this week. It may not necessarily affect your chart position all that much, but if you actually follow the progress of the show along the charts and you take note of, okay, so this week I had fewer downloads, but I did get two new ratings in the door, you'll notice your position really starting to move on the charts. And that is just about the most valuable thing you can do because anyone who's looking for new content is going to be able to see you in the top 200 of the larger categories for, say, education or a business. When you're thinking about the title, let's say, I remember going back, I wanted to have a different title and you really pushed for it to be the second shift podcast. It's things like that where in your opinion at the time, it was make it as clear, as clear, as clear. Don't confuse people. Don't make some title that really doesn't get to what you're saying. Your point was like, you have a company, you already have a brand, you're going to have more success if you keep it clean. And is that why like having it be descriptive in a title is really important? Or even like the description of the title of the episode, the description of what's in the episode, the more you can narrow and explain up front, the more likely it is that people are going to attach to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're in the audio space, sure, but you can think of it as the same process as if you were to upload on YouTube, and maybe you are uploading on YouTube, but you need to think of it the same way as that in terms of keyword searchability. So one thing you want to do is make sure that you have absolutely every keyword that could possibly be related to the subject matter somewhere in the episode title and or description so that people can find you. So your hope is that someone who's looking to solve a very specific problem will stumble upon your show, and that's how you acquire new listeners. That said, you do need to be specific about your takeaway. That's the most important thing in titling is being very clear about what somebody is going to take away from that specific episode, particularly if it's a new listener, because you have to consider the fact that listeners probably will not know who you are. They probably will not know who the guest is. And if you're mindful of that, then you can go further with the title and really dig into what the content is all about. Because if somebody doesn't know who you are and somebody doesn't know who the guest is and the titling is not clear, 
what are the chances they're going to click on that? That means nothing to them. They have no idea what they're going to get out of spending their half an hour listening to the show. And so you have to be very clear one way or another. And as far as the guests go, if you do have someone who's noteworthy and you think is going to be widely searched in the podcast space, one good simple rule for titling there would be you'd like to keep their name towards the front of the title so that it's always visible and it's not cut off by any of the platforms you use that sort of dot 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 at the end of the titles if you have longer titles and if you have a lesser known person you can leave them at the end so you can really prioritize what the takeaway is going to be and make sure everybody's able to see that going right in that's really good advice i wouldn't have well, even thought you. about that but it's true it's like just examine your own behavior and habits, right? Like how do you search for things? How do you find out about podcasts? Is it word of mouth or are you looking through the For You page or whatever? And if you are, what are the things that are jumping out at you? So if you're using yourself as like an N of one subject, then you can extrapolate what behavior is really like. And if you're thinking about behavior, what do you see as important right now? I know it's an industry that's constantly changing. The algorithms are changing, how the monetization's changing. So how do you think about it from here and going forward? Because I know it's it's kind of a, a evolution. It's not a static formula, right? It's not like you do this and then this is what's successful. It's what's successful is a constantly changing. So it's a very elusive target. You're just trying to do your best within like some parameters. Right. Yeah. It's it's really interesting trying to keep it fresh and be mindful of not only what other content is out there, but what other features are out there. Like things that you can do these days that you weren't able to do just a couple of years ago are create new custom artwork for each individual episode. And that's something that will show up on, say, Spotify and a couple of other platforms, and you'll be able to see Okay, so for this individual episode, we have a photo of that specific guest. So changing the artwork in each episode so that it represents who the guest is instead of representing just like the picture of that repetitive image over and over again is beneficial? Yeah, good question. I mean, it certainly can be. It's sort of a pros and cons, how much it's worth your time, depending on who your audience is, because this is something that would show up on platforms like Spotify and a few others but not necessarily on Apple Podcasts, which to date is still the largest platform out there. That said, Apple recently put out some information via their email list saying that in coming weeks, months, who knows when, they're going to start enabling that as well. So it's not the show cover art, to be clear. This is individual episode cover art that you can publish on each one. So if you were to flip through Spotify, you'd see the actual individual guest of that week or however you choose to lay it out. But that can sort of pop and stand out. And there are things you can do within that to sort of organize things. So if you're a show that features some solo episodes and maybe you have some guests as well, what you can do is color coordinate those. You can change the background and say, okay, the blue background is going to indicate a solo episode. Maybe a red background indicates a guest episode. So if somebody does land on your page and they love listening to you, but they're not necessarily too interested in all of the guest episodes, they just want to flip through and find episodes of you. This is a nice, easy way to color coordinate your whole timeline and allow people to find the episodes that they really want to find. Are we going to do that? <laughs> we could do that. Is that cool? You I mean, that? we could do that. I don't know. It sounds fun. And little things like... This podcast is set up as like a conversation. It's just a long conversation because that's how we set it up. But is it 
better to have it be broken down into different types of breakouts within the episode where there's like a formula for how you do each episode? Is that more successful or less? I don't know that more or less is necessarily the right way of thinking about it. It's a matter of what kind of information you'd like to make sure is within the episode. And it's also, it is a good way of hedging bets if you were to create more segments within the show. One thought to that point would be, if you want to have a few consistent elements to the episode, like say you have a specific way you like to end the show, that's a great hook that people like to latch on to. Say you're a show that says, okay, three final quick pieces of advice at the end. Someone might want to tune in just for that bit because they find that rewarding. Speaking to the point of hedging bets, if you're a show who does like to feature a lot of guests, but you know that your audience is also maybe even more engaged in your regular solo episodes, what you can do is start each episode that would have a guest in it with 20 minutes up front where you're speaking solo, you're speaking to your co-host, you're catching up on life, your recent thoughts, your recent tactics, you're setting up the interview that is to come. And that way, every week, there's something for everyone, even if they're not necessarily that interested in listening to a guest. I think that's a great idea. Thank you. We could try that as well. I'm just, we'll, we'll just revise the whole show based on whatever happens in this conversation. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering, are the solo episodes more successful than the guest episodes? I'm putting like literally taking notes and asking myself questions on all the things that we're learning, which is literally why I'm doing this entire series, because I'm like, I have so many questions. I assume other people do. And I have the ability to get my questions answered by forcing people to do this. Yeah. <laughs> podcast with me so I don't, you know, so I don't have to feel guilty. <laughs> and that is something that you really have to lay out for podcasters sometimes, because especially the ones that are self-conscious, and those are often the smartest people because they're going, oh my God, any little mistake I'm going to be so self-conscious about. People are here for you. You can bring on all the guests you want, and that's a great way to bring in new traffic to help get promo out there for your show. But in the end, people are here for you. So do not do guest episodes every single week. They can find guests absolutely anywhere. They're ultimately here because they like your specific voice. And even if they're not counting on having solo episodes all the time, it's a real treat for them getting to know the host. And that familiarity goes a long way. It's a similar idea to why shows with photos of the host as a part of their cover art tend to do very well. And you can try this out. If you're a podcaster out there and you have cover art that does not include a photo of you, try a quick rebrand. If you're moving into a new season of a show, try rebranding your art so that you're on the cover so that people can put a face to the name and it feels more personal. They feel like they know you. I think that's very good advice. Here's a question. I noticed that like a lot of creators on different platforms present themselves differently. So... Instagram is very like shellacked and perfect. TikTok is very much the more authentic you are and like messy, the better. And with a podcast, I have found it more difficult to just like let loose really because I wasn't trained to behave like that on camera or in 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 an interview setting. But then I see there are podcasts where it's just kind of like people chatting and it's a little bit of a shit show. Is that type of podcast similar to the TikTok ethos working or are the more produced ones working or is it just across the board? It doesn't really matter. As long as it works, it works. 
yeah, it's a little off-putting to those of us older than, say, 20 years old to see what's going on. It does seem like the more raw things are, the more true to life it is, the more engaged people are with it. Like, we're seeing this now, like, TikTok is moving over into everything else, where if you watch a YouTube ad, it's probably going to sound awful. It was clearly somebody recording in their own bedroom or something. It was just a paid sponsorship or something. So it speaks to authenticity. But ultimately, I think the combination of something that's well-produced and well-thought-out is really what it comes down to. Thinking about a podcast, as we said earlier, a podcast is not a static being. It also exists in an ecosystem that you have to create around it to promote it, to get more followers, to get people to become part of the following of a podcast. So are the other channels like YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, are they really important in creating that ecosystem? And are there some that are more important than others? Absolutely. And I think it depends mostly on who your audience is and what you're actually doing. So something that, well, I mean, dignified probably is not the right word, but a show like yours that is business oriented. It's I'll take dignified. Dignified, sure. I'll take dignified. That's a lovely (laughs) word. Broad strokes, that's not necessarily the word I'm aiming for, but something a little more polished and professional. Exactly. You'd want to focus on more of an Instagram, maybe even a Facebook, depending on who your audience is. But if you're skewing younger, if you're doing current events, if you're talking about the Real Housewives or something, that's really where you're going to want to focus on TikTok and these quick hit things, because this is just the dopamine hit that people want quickly. They're not necessarily in it to learn anything, but it is important to note that you need to be true to who you are and what your brand is. I think that that's really good advice because you're right. If I think about it, I had the thought thinking, oh, maybe I should do YouTube. And then I'm like, no one in my audience, when we look at the demographics, is on YouTube or watching YouTube. So you're right. I would be just screaming into a void and wasting my time trying to get an audience where it doesn't exist. And it has so much to do with not necessarily who you are, but it's what your brand is. So if you're a well-known person on, say, an Instagram, say you're a fashion influencer, and you come out with a show that's all about hobbies, it doesn't translate. It's absolutely shocking. But I've seen, you know, well over 100 shows and their statistics, and I've done all sorts of analysis. And what I can tell you is that what you're known for is what matters. It's not enough to be a person doing different things all over the place. You need to be very deliberate and consistent with your branding. I love that. And it's true. And I think that speaks back to what we were saying before about authenticity, where if you're doing something that's off-brand, it's not going to land in the same way. It has to work with what the brand identity that you've already put out into the world and then be able to iterate on it into different kinds of platforms and media. Absolutely. And I guess the last tip to sort of tie all this together for anyone in podcasting would be, be aware of the analytics that are available to you. There are all sorts of distributors and aggregators you can use. You can be on Libsyn, Acast, Podbean, whatever you'd like, and they're all going to offer you different sorts of statistics. But You'll also want to do your diligence and log into your Apple podcast page and into your Spotify for podcasters page. 
claim your show and make sure that those analytics are visible to you because you're going to get very valuable insights that you would not be able to get from your main distributor. Apple, for instance, may not offer statistics like gender and age and that sort of thing. But what they will offer you is information on engagement. So you can see how far into an episode people are starting to fall off. Do we need to tighten the length of the episode? These sorts of things. And you can see what sort of topics and what sort of guests people are staying more engaged with. Are they listening further into the episodes that are just solo episodes? Or do they actually prefer the guests? If you were to move over to Spotify, on the other hand, you would see not that, but what you would be able to see is a detailed breakdown of gender. You can tell actually by episode or by the show at large, by a length of time. Are most of your listeners female lately? Have we done something different with the episode subject matter that may be skewing this data to bring in more people of a certain kind? We can see what the age ranges are. And these sorts of things can really help you make an informed decision about where you should be spending your time. Should you be focusing on Instagram or is your demographic skewing younger than you thought it was? And maybe it is time to start focusing more on YouTube and TikTok and these things to bring in the people that are already interested in the show and you know are actually listening. So lean into the data and use it because where I might think that there's a show that's really interesting, if it doesn't resonate with an audience, then it's not really worth doing or pursuing that exactly going forward. And that's happened. So it's been really interesting to see what lands and what doesn't. And it's not always what I assume it's going to be. Brian, thank you. I have learned a lot today. I can't wait to share this with everybody. I think your insights are invaluable. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. You're the best, Jenny. The man behind the Second Shift podcast. We wouldn't be here without you. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 